This is the Personal Finance Show. I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is episode 30 of The Personal Finance Show. Hamza Khan had a toxic relationship with money. Obsessing about saving and spending caused a lot of stress in his family when he was young. So when he started making his own money, he just didn't want to go there at all. But when you're not paying attention to your finances, things can get out of hand, even if you're making good money. During this time, Hamza was also experiencing what he now realizes was burnout. Driven by his need to prove to his family that he could be successful in the world of marketing, he would forego sleep and work insane hours to achieve as much as possible. But a series of troubling incidents led him to question his way of doing things. This introspection ultimately led him to write his new book, The Burnout Gamble. Hamza joined me to talk about burnout, productivity, freedom, mental health, and his personal finance story. The morning of January 1st, 2013. Okay. So not that long ago. It was either 2013 or 2012. I can't remember, but I woke up in my condo the night after a New Year's party where I had a fantastic time. I was enjoying myself. I woke up that next morning and uh, I wanted to go to the Tim Hortons down the street and get myself some breakfast. So I sauntered over. I ordered my uh, large double double and my breakfast croissant sandwich. And I pulled out my debit card, I went to pay, and there was insufficient funds. Whoa, what? And I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. What's what the is cost going of on here? How much would this cost? It was cost? Like like... less than $7 yeah. combined. I threw in a hash brown. I was living dangerously. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. New year. A new year. You know, new year, new me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was like, this doesn't make any sense. And then I opened up my app, my TD app. I logged in, and I was like, oh, shit. There is no money here. Not only is there no money here, there's a notice asking me to call the bank. And I went home and I logged into all of my different applications, mint.com, TD, the CRA account. And it turns out that I had majorly, majorly fucked up. How so? In the sense that I failed to stay on top of my taxes for the past two years. I had a terrible accountant. I wasn't in communication with that accountant. I didn't declare one of my sources of incomes. I had neglected some of the mail that was coming to me. wasn't opening up wasn't opening it up in time. Uh, essentially, I was just disorganized. Wow! It turns out that the CRA had fined me to the tune of fifteen thousand dollars, and it froze all of my accounts. Fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand dollars for neglecting my 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 filing for uh, all the penalties that had. Uh, accumulated over the past two years. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, how did this happen? How did you not see this coming? What dude? Oh my God, this is ridiculous. My life just went into a tailspin. Not only was I broke, I was now $15,000 in debt. So all of the money had been drained from my accounts to pay off some of the balance. Because they can do that. They can do that. CRA has total privilege. Absolutely. And uh, I was terrified. And I looked to my friend who comes from significantly wealthier means. It comes from a, a really great background. His father was an investment banker. And I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do here. I don't want to tell anyone this is super embarrassing. At this point in my life, making the money that I'm making, this shouldn't be happening. I was just babbling on and on and on. 
And he said, don't worry, I'll talk to my dad. He'll give you some advice. So I jumped on a call with his dad a couple of minutes later. And he's like, look, this happens all the time. People just don't stay on top of their finances. They neglect uh, their financial health and well-being, if you will. And uh, it's all right. You'll, you'll make it back. Just focus on, on doubling down on your earning potential and making more money. Okay. And that gave me a huge flashback to you know when I was a, a younger Hamza, thinking about how I ended up in a situation where I had such an unhealthy relationship, almost a toxic relationship with money. Yeah. And I think, honestly, Bo, it comes back down to watching my mom and dad go through some really rough times in their marriage because of finances. Well, that's what they say. You know, a lot of marriages or just even relationships, almost you should be talking about it on the first date or something's going totally. to cause problems. Totally. So I had to look back and, and, and understand that I almost had a disdain for money. I almost mm. uh, hated money because of what I saw it do to the two people that I loved the most growing up. And I saw it rock their relationship and nearly cause them to separate in the messiest way possible. Did they have different philosophies uh, about money? Very like different spender philosophies versus saver money. sort of thing? Or? They're both savers. Okay. Uh, especially my father, one of the most uh, skilled savers I've ever seen. Sure. I mean, a guy who comes from destitute poverty, who was able to build up a life for himself and his family in North America, proportional, proportionally to the work that I'm doing and how much I've saved, uh, it'll, it'll take me decades to amass the, the same sort of level of, of wealth that he has created for himself, given where he was. My mother, on the other hand, believed in saving, but also believed in spending, spending on family, spending on experiences, yeah. spending to save time. And Living your life. Yeah, exactly. so sort of a more a normalized uh, view. A more normalized view. My father, on the other hand, was we need to scrounge, we need to save, we need to pinch pennies. At the expense of everyday enjoyment, exactly, say. Yeah. Exactly. And so in his mind, that was a noble endeavor. And looking back, I can understand why he thought that way, given sure. what he had to see as a child, mm -hmm. uh, his rough upbringing, having skipped childhood and gone to adulthood, adulthood altogether, watching his father be a frivolous spender and just burn through the family's money. Um, Contrast. I, I understand the yeah. elasticity of, of, of his philosophies. All of that's to say I watched that happen and then I had to just sort of skip through a couple of years of my life that brought me to that morning. Money to me became, and I, I laugh because I, I quote this a lot, that scene from Wolf of Wall Street where... Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is like flinging money off the boat. He's like, here yeah. you go. These are fun coupons. Yeah. That's what money became to me for a long time. Okay. It became fun coupons. And I didn't think about saving. I didn't think about investing. I just thought that there's something that I get in exchange for the value, the service, the time that I provide to someone else. And then I spend them on my enjoyment, my entertainment. Um, but that was a wake-up call for me, Bo. And uh, since then, for the last five or six years, I've been making up for lost time as far as having eagle eyes over my income and spending and investing wisely. So it was like, Hamza's going to live forever, and Hamza's always going to be able to make money, so why do I need to save it? Or was mm -hmm. there even a, th a thought about that at all? Did you even think about it? So there was a moment where I was speaking to my friend's father, and this was the morning of, and he said, don't worry about saving. You can always save. Focus on making more money. Okay. <laughs> and I bought into that because that's, I was vulnerable at that point. I was sure. financially insecure. I was scared. And so I, 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 for a second, I believed in that philosophy, like, let's just make more money and the problem will fix itself. But making more money, you know, we were talking right before we started recording about the Beyonce factor. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've heard a, a similar term called the tapestry effect, and especially it affects athletes. So for example, you'll be a bench player on the Toronto Raptors, and suddenly, suddenly you'll see one of the starting players pull up to the ACC in a Lamborghini and you think to yourself, oh crap, why don't I have a Lamborghini? So that tapestry effect of wanting to increase the, the, the spending in areas of your life to mimic people who have it 
is uh, something that I was very caught up with, especially with the, with the circles that I was running around with at that point in my life. So I believed it for a second, and then I had to moderate my beliefs by, by reflecting on how my dad was able to accumulate wealth, how my uncles were able to invest smartly in real estate and businesses and diversify their portfolios. Around this time is when we started thinking about, or sorry, when, we, when I started to hear rumblings of robo-investing. Mm-hmm. These were the early days of Wealth Simple, for instance, yeah. when they were just starting out. You and said I had this a couple of friends who were working there. This was 2013. 2013, 2013 yeah. I yeah, think. I, I, need to, right. I need to check my dates. It was one of the two dates. I think it was 2012 or 2013. Um, my memory's a bit fuzzy there, but... Um, and partially because I was going through some, some, some burnout. Well, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, and we'll get to the burnout. So I want to find out more about, so other than this 15,000 in CRA money. Yeah. So was there a point in time where you were ever in debt then before this? Or were you always in debt as well? I was never in debt. So you're never in debt. This. I was always spending on my credit card and paying things off. So okay. as far as income was concerned, I think, you know, knock on wood, that's one thing that I'm very proud of, of decisions that I made early in my life to invest in earning potential. I've always had more than one stream of income. I've always been able to level up my income, not because I'm an expert negotiator. I'm actually the worst negotiator I know. I think I just, I work really, really hard. But if you think, if I think about the early days of when I was working, I was overcompensating. So I was probably making less money than I was supposed to because I was working twice as hard, mm. twice as long as, as people in, in similar stages. So you always had the uh, sort of ability to earn whatever you needed to live. Yes. Yeah. Knock on wood. And then you would, you would spend it on just, just living, just uh, spending th- it on things? convenience, on yeah, living, convenience. on entertainment. I'm glad that my tastes weren't more expensive than they were, but yeah. I did pass through a phase where I was partying all the time. So mm. like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I was going out, I was having a great time up and down in and around Toronto, Montreal, uh, going to different bars, going to different clubs and just, uh, you know, for a lack of a better phrase, balling out of control sometimes. So you're in your twenties, <laughs> right? This is, this is what we're supposed to do, I guess. I think so. But my best friends who I kind of pushed aside for a little while mm. during that phase would always look to me and joke and say, Hamza, like you're just blowing it all fast. Like, mm. what, what are you doing here? I didn't want to hear it at that point in my life. I just wanted to have fun. And I believed that what I was doing was, was somehow investing in my momentary happiness, but also long-term experiences, which after you repeat a couple of clubbing experiences, they just are the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's uh, it's not really the same as you know, going to Machu Picchu or something no, like that. No, and you're not you're not building meaningful relationships. Like uh, the, the extent of my conversations in these clubs, like, hey, how are you? Where are you from? <laughs> okay, great. This DJ's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Bye. Let's put that in the journal for uh, for the memoirs yeah. for, for oh later. Right? <laughs> just the most meaningful conversations I had at that point in my life. Eh? But you're you're spending <clears throat> this money. And uh, to get back to the burnout, yeah, to sort of compensate for your level of work at this time, right? right? You're like you're working many uh, several different jobs. Several so, different jobs. So let's let's uh, let's go to the point where you're working. You went to school. Where did yeah. you go to school? I went to uh, the University of Toronto Scarborough. Okay, so you went to UT Scarborough, and what'd you get? Uh, I walked away with a honors BA in English Lit. Nice. Okay. You know, yeah. a lot of people on the podcast have some kind of, uh, you know, English degree or the degree that they're not, uh, yeah, use, I guess, using yep, technically, yep, yep. but you're using like English. Shout lit. out to the to liberal, liberal arts. You wrote a book. I so. wrote a book eventually. It came full circle. There was a moment in time though, where I was like, ah, why did I do this? I put a lot of money into this thing and 
Is it going to pay off? But eventually it did. But people say, go to university for the networking. I think maybe your partner said that. Yep. Kareem. Yeah, 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 so yeah. Kareem is from which company? Uh, he's from Splash Effect. Splash Effect, which right. you are currently with or no? I am no longer no, with no Splash longer Effect. With. And yeah, how, yeah. for how long has it been? Uh, that has been about since... This past October. October, okay. Yeah, this right. past so October. is he running that now? He's now in charge of it and running it. It's full steam ahead. And then what's your full-time now? My full-time now is Student Life Network. Oh. We started at Ryerson, yeah. so we both were working full-time at Ryerson, and we kind of created Splash Effect on the side early okay. days, so 2012, I think. And uh, we just grew it, and it scaled from being 25% off the side of our desk to 50 to 75 to a point for me where it got to 100% of my day. And I had to make a tough choice. Do I stay at Ryerson? Do I go full-time with Splash Effect? And I went full-time with Splash Effect. I like what you said in, in one podcast interview that uh, Ryerson was encouraging you guys to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, so you're like, where were you working at Ryerson? In a student uh, yep, area? I was working in the department or the division, actually, of student affairs. And the department I was uh, specifically attached to was the Department of Student Life. And then eventually the creative unit. So I was working in a marketing, communication, social media capacity within the university. And so that wasn't your first job after UTS or was it? No, no, that wasn't. So the first job I got after UTSC was at a tech startup up in Richmond Hill. Okay. Uh, so I worked there first for about a year and a half, and then I eventually joined Ryerson. Cool. And so uh, was this when uh, the the spending started? Were you making some good money at the tech yeah, startup? So, so check this out. When I joined that tech startup, Okay. Uh, this is where the money started coming in oh, wow. because I was freelancing. I was also dabbling in a couple of other entrepreneurial ventures at the time. I started a small little record label, signing some artists, okay. and trying to get them deals and whatnot. Wait, but let's pause time, on that. What kind of artists are we talking they were, about? They were hip hop artists nice. out of Scarborough and uh, people that we just heard about. You know, you would see on YouTube early days of YouTube. Sure. Uh, you know, they had their mixtapes that they were putting up, but they were struggling with getting distribution. And I had this unique perspective as an intern at Sony Music, thinking that I knew the business inside out just by watching everybody do their thing. I kind of took all of my learnings from being a, a fly on the wall in that company for a year and brought it back to this little hustle that I had on the side. Okay, so uh, we, we yeah, have a lot yeah, to yeah. talk about. <laughs> we'll, get back, we'll get back to the Sony internship. And also, I want to ask you more about this label, but sure. uh, this tech startup. Yeah. So you're, you're doing a bunch of things that were making you money. This was a really cool job. I mean, I got to experience firsthand a company that uh, experienced a surge in value. It was a penny stock and overnight it went from like trading at three cents to $3.30. People oh, became wow. multimillionaires overnight. Yeah. Uh, I was making good money over there. There was also some stocks and like the company was expensing a lot of trips and uh, the culture there was one that uh, encouraged, you know, going out there and spending and having a good time. Sure. So I got caught up in that. Okay. Yeah. So that so that was your first experience and, and uh, you got used to this, I guess, lavish lifestyle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I wouldn't, looking back, it wasn't exactly lavish, but given my upbringing and given sort of the financial hardships that I had experienced secondhand through my parents, this was a huge contrast from mm -hmm. what I was used to. Yeah. Like I went from thinking that some of the restaurants that I used to frequent as a child were, were, were nice to looking back and being like, whoa, those were not nice at all. Yeah. Uh, this is nice. Oh man, like I think my palate was expanding as a result of this experience and getting to taste the finer things in life. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you kind of got used to that and so did that kind of drive you more or... That or did. do you just have the internal drive? I had the internal drive, luckily. Um, however, the money is 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 such an encouragement, though. So when you start seeing those 
uh, zeros in your bank account, then you're like, okay, something's working over here. And then you can use more fun coupons to redeem more fun things. Yes. And it starts off with sort of big ticket expenses. You first get yourself some nice clothes and then it goes into tech and then eventually the car and then the trips. And then, you know, where do you go from there? And so, like you said, you had this toxic relationship with money based mm-hmm. on you. You just didn't want to didn't want to think about it, or is that is that the impression from your parents? I you think got? you're absolutely right, Bo. I didn't want to think about it because it reminded me of those difficult times in my life. I mean, being uh, um, you know in my in my uh, early teens, uh, huddled over the stairs and trying to listen to my parents mm. with the door closed and hearing them argue and scream. Yeah. And, you know, hearing tears and always coming down to we're not spending our money well and why are we spending here, why are we spending there and, you know, trying to console my sister after these fights as well. Wow. Um, you know, uh, looking back, some some pretty traumatic times in my life. Yeah. Uh, experiencing that level of, of discord in my family and it all came from that one villain. It all came from this, this uh, the villain known as money. Uh, so to me, spending the money Earning the money and spending the money was almost a rebellious act, if I'm clarifying sure. my thoughts over no, this that podcast. Makes a it was a rebellious act. Behavior. It was self-destructive yeah. behavior. Yeah. And when I engaged with a life coach, one of the first things she told me was, you have a really unhealthy relationship with money. Hmm. You don't value money. You disregard money. Uh, you find yourself in an opportune place where you're making money and there's no shortage of money in your life, but it comes in and it goes out with the same quickness. And also, what we don't really think about is that we are fallible. Everybody likes to think that uh, they don't need insurance mm-hmm. or that they don't need savings mm-hmm. because, well, I know how to make money. Yeah. I can always make money. Like, you know, someone like you, entrepreneur, you can always make money somehow. Right. 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 Even, I mean, even if you break your arms. Sure. Right. Yeah. You, you'll be yeah, able yeah. to make money. Yeah. But there are things that can happen to us that make it so that maybe even just temporarily, we can't make the money right totally. now. And, you know, those things could be critical illness. Right. And so that's why they have critical illness insurance for things like that. Of so course. that it doesn't ruin your life, even if you have savings. Right, right. But if you don't have any, then you find yourself, wow, I need to, I legitimately need to take a break for whatever reason from making money and I can't. And now I need loans and now I'm, I'm in a really bad place. Absolutely. And, uh, wow, I think you touched on so much over there. I was actually in line to get our drinks this morning. And there was a gentleman in a construction outfit who was missing an arm. Mm. And I thought wow, to myself, okay. holy crap. He's still going. He's yeah. still going. Yeah. And what would need to happen in my life to lose the ability to make money? I would mm-hmm. have to lose so many things all at once. Yeah. I would have to lose. I mean, uh, fortunately, I don't have to use my body to make money, but it definitely helps when I'm up on stage and also just mobility as well and of being course. able to travel and yes. do things, things that I, I perhaps take for granted. Uh, but I would have to lose my sight. I would have to lose my voice. I would have to lose uh, motor function. I mean, so many critical failures would take place for me to not make money. And uh, I'm grateful that I have my full health, even my mental health right now to be able to make money. But I think about my dad specifically, who is still working right now, who is managing a franchise. He runs a convenience store here in downtown. Mm. But he is trading his time for money. Like yeah. He has to be bound to that store from 7 in the morning till 7 at night. And it is a finite exchange. So he goes there and he knows exactly how much money is going to be in his bank account yeah. at the end of the day. And uh, I'm grateful for the work that he's done. But it's a huge sacrifice. And uh, you know, in saying yes to me and my sister and my mother and all of the different sort of nets that he's created for us, he said no to himself his entire life. 
Mm-hmm. So seeing that and having having courtside seats to that experience, that made me realize that I never want to be in that level at that encumbered by that level of is the word indenture. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, indentured servitude. And indentured servitude. Working and the the idea of never being able to stop working. Yeah, dude. Here we are on a Wednesday morning. Yeah. Right? It's Wednesday morning. The workday has started. The, the the stock exchange bell has rung. People are at their desks, and you and I are sitting casually recording this podcast. That's right. Having a coffee. The sun's out. I think that we have planned our lives in such a way where we don't physically need to be somewhere in order to make money. And not only that, we haven't capped ourselves as far as earning potential is concerned. We have multiple streams of revenue that are ensuring that we can live our best lives without having to exchange time in the way that someone like my father does or in the way that someone like that gentleman does who I saw in line for the coffee. Well, I, and I think we we both choose creativity because we can, right. I guess. You talked a little bit in, in another podcast interview about privilege. Right. And um, some people have the privilege to do things like this and then they don't use it. I know. It, it's a, yeah. t- a touchy point for yeah. you. Yeah, bothers me a lot. Uh, what's that line from Goodwill Hunting? It's like, don't do it for you, do it for me. That's right. It, it is That's a good, how I feel. It's a good analogy to the yeah. Goodwill Hunting thing, right? Yeah. Because he's just caught up in whatever you know psychosis or, or mental issue that he right? has yeah, going yeah, on, yeah. trying to fit this into Matt Damon's character. Yeah, right? Matt Damon's character, yeah. trying to fit into whatever he feels that he's supposed to be. His role in, in society, right? And not... not doing everyone else a favor and exploring his potential. Absolutely. And I get, I think that's, that's uh, what I like about what you said is uh, we all should take the opportunity to explore potential and not just take that job. Like I'm going to be a doctor because my, my parents wanted me to, and because I'm good at science or yeah, or et cetera. Like I'm not going to, I, you know, I didn't get my uh, accounting designation. I I, I got like 95% there. And I just, I was like, this is not for me. Can you imagine if you didn't start this podcast? So I'm sure you see it all the time, but I think it would be would be helpful for you and, and just a, a, me, a way for me to express my admiration for what you're doing here. You probably receive fan mail. You probably receive emails from listeners saying, Phew. thank you, that was great. <laughs> but I'm sure that you have changed the life trajectory of hundreds of people over the years that you've been doing this. Someone has listened to something that someone has said on a podcast Maybe it's not even your idea. Maybe someone's listening to me or one of your other guests and they're choosing to invest differently. They're choosing to save. They're choosing to spend in a way that is going to improve their life and the lives of the people around them. And that's all because you've taken the time to create this podcast and invest in the quality and be consistent with it. So you are realizing your gifts. And as a result, uh, I mean, you're, you're spreading the wealth. Well, thank you for that. And and that is one of the reasons why I started this. You know, I got caught up in a pretty bad gambling addiction for a long time. I had no right? idea. No, yeah, that's that's my story. I'll I'll send you the link uh, to to my video. What was um, your uh, What was your game? Oh, uh, every, every game, everything. Yeah, right? that was that was the thing. So uh, yeah, online. So Jesus. I started uh, gambling online. I think early days of poker something stars? about like you know. 200% increase in the online casinos. It yeah, was like yeah, 1999, yeah, yeah. Wow. right? 1999-2000, oh, right, 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 right there. Jeez. And uh, But I had started way before that, mm-hmm. back into the early days, like when I was 11. And so oh, yeah. it's like the thing about addiction is it, you cultivate, right? And if no one kind of has an idea about what it might be, 
uh, no one knows to look out for it. And even then, you don't know yeah, until no someone's going to be in it. Right? But I, you know, I was exhibiting a lot of interesting behavior, but it was because I had attention deficit disorder um, right. that it got really bad because I needed a coping mechanism to deal with well, university was a the lightning first thing. rod for your anxiety. Just, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Uh, just life, right? So uh, I tried to do things. Everything was so hard. I'm, I was really smart, but I, I couldn't uh, get good marks on exams. Right. So where could you apply couldn't yourself understand. to be good at something? And it was just like, or how do I deal with this this life that I I, I hate? Yeah, wow. Right, I hate it. Where'd you because go to school, by the way? I went to Western. Western. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I got a Bachelor of uh, Administrative and Commercial Studies. Here there. we go. You know, I would seem like a ninety percent student, but I would get. 70s or 60s or even Jeez. less on the t on the tests and yeah. people wouldn't understand why and it wasn't until years years later that I found out that I had ADD no and way. that was what was causing me so much misery and I needed to make up for my misery with gambling and and I I picked gambling cuz I liked it it could have been drugs or alcohol right yeah, as yeah, a, yeah. Lot, a lot of people, whatever coping mechanism right sure, yeah, yeah, but yeah. uh you know I had and I don't say it's a lack of uh, information. I don't know if it was a lack of information that could have uh, that, that made it last so long. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the more we talk about this stuff, and the more we bring up things like uh, spending problems. Spending problems are usually not about money; they're about something else, mm -hmm. right? Like you know, your disregard for money was because you had this issue that you needed to deal with, right? right. And and you were rebelling and and is negative. If we can deal with these things early then we can be like, you know, why am I doing this to myself, Absolutely. right? I can have the best of both worlds, Absolutely. things like that. So the more we talk about all the different kinds of issues, mental health issues, you know, uh, financial wellness, sometimes it's it's financial wellness causes mental health. Sometimes 100%. it's the other way around, 100%. right? Like yeah, in yeah, my yeah. situation. And so let's go back. Sure. Let's go back to... Wow, I have so many questions. <laughs> well, we, that, that's why you got... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah, got to get yeah, your yeah, podcast yeah. Uh, back up and, and we... Because uh, that's the best demonstration of going from an idea into action, right? So like you were in this place where you were stuck um, in so many ways and you, you willed yourself out of it. But it took a long time. I can imagine. I want to hear about the process, but yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll we can, that. we can do that. We can do that later, but let's, let's, uh, let's go back. So the Sony internship, yes. was that right out of school? No, this was while I was in school. While you were so in school. Okay, great. I took a victory lap. But this is where, would you say, is this where the burnout began? This is where my first, the first vivid instance of burnout was felt. So I think I experienced flashes of burnout. Sure. Throughout my undergrad, but uh, this is when I f when I when I first experienced the consequences. What of would it. be the flash in in like university? Like you're overstudying for exams, overstudying, just all taking too many courses, taking too many courses. Uh, you know, wallowing in the failure. You know, sure. I just, philosophy exam came back and like you, I thought I got a ninety in it. I got forty on oh, it. Oh yeah. So just you know, sitting in the shit, um, yeah. and, and and kind of losing motivation for a couple of days. So mm -hmm. there was like small glimpses of burnout, but the real first burnout episode, the one that I sort of tracked my burnout odyssey from, uh, began at Sony Music. And and you uh, did your first TEDx or second TEDx talk about this? I did my second TEDx talk about this, yeah. And, and, the, and the book, it. this and then about the book. And right, I think, of... I think I, I, I alluded to it, but in more recent iterations of the talk, I, I go into much more detail. I opened that second TEDx talk with a story of uh, my last burnout and my final burnout instance yes. at Ryerson. I like that one. Thank you. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk about Sony. Sony so what sure. what what happened there? So you're working. You're you're like you got this opportunity for oh, yeah. to be at Sony, and and you're working in in A and R. 
No, I was working in partnerships at oh, the okay. time. Yeah. I, was, I was interning with a, a wonderful gentleman and a mentor who took me under his wing and gave me the opportunity to stay beyond the three months that I was supposed to stay there. And I remember him taking me aside and saying, Hamza, you might want to stick around. This was 2008, so obviously oh, okay, yeah. financial crash, <laughs> iTunes, so much was happening that was changing the face of the music industry. He said, Hamza, stick around. I know your internship's done, but... If you want to watch a company respond to this transformation, this is going to be like an MBA packed into however long you stay here. Okay. So I stuck around for a year and I watched that whole company uh, react uh, and, and evolve and respond and, and adapt to what was happening in the market. So for me, this was such a cool opportunity because I was feeling, first of all, insecure about my degree in the South Asian community, English especially lit. English yeah. lit. All of my friends were studying to become doctors, lawyers, engineers, and here I was in this quote-unquote fluffy mm. program. And all of my guidance counselors were like, yeah, you can become a teacher, you can become a novelist, you can become an illustrator. You're probably not <laughs> going to make a lot of money, but you'll be very self-actualized. They're like, yes. And then I have this father on the other side who's like, I didn't come all the way across the Atlantic Ocean yep. and sacrifice all this time, energy to have you go and just throw it all away. Like, you know, he he gave me an arbitrary number when I was younger. He told me that, the amount of money that you need to make in order to be financially free in this part of the world, North America, is a minimum of $120,000 a year in income. Wow. That's the number he gave me. Now, thinking back to the Beyonce factor, mm -hmm. there was so much caught up in that number, $120,000 for him to provide the lifestyle that he was providing for my family. Mm. I don't think I have the same ambitions. Wow. Or I didn't yeah. have the same ambitions back then. Um but it was $120,000 and his, his, his golden rule was there's only three ways to achieve true financial freedom, which is invest in property, own your own business or inheritances and win the lottery. Okay. So none of that involves ETFs. Exactly. None of that involves ETFs. <laughs> or robo-advisors. Robo-advisors. Funds or stocks or Shout out to my dad. It. When I was 14, he took me to TD and he's like, we're going to create your first RRSP here. Okay. So Probably I started a putting some fund. money in their mutual fund. Okay. And I remember looking at my statement over the years being like, oh man, I wish I had that money. I wish I had that money. Yeah. Now here I am at the age of 30 being like, oh, thank you, dad. That was fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Good. Wow. That's great. So, uh, Good Sorry, start. I, lo I lost track of where we started with that with that train of thought. Over yeah, there. so so we're we're getting into Sony. Yes, yeah, so you're Sony. so excited about this, but you have this target of one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Right. So you're taking the opportunity. For me, this is validation. Like, oh my god, now you have an opportunity to truly make it in mm, marketing. Okay. You have this big name and so on and so yeah. forth. So I threw myself at the opportunity, and I threw myself at the opportunity by becoming like SpongeBob SquarePants. I would go to everyone's desk and be like, "Hi, I'm Hamza. How can I help you? What can I do for you? No problem. Awesome." And I would just take on responsibilities, take them on, take them on, take them on. And at the same time, I was still working retail, I was still studying, I was still doing my freelance. So my days were completely shot. The first thing that usually goes when I'm burning out is sleep. Okay, yeah. Uh, the sleep was completely gone in this case, and there was like, one stretch where completely a couple hours. I would sleep on the bus rides. Wow, that was about it. And oh, I was man. working, I was working a 72 hour stretch because not only was I juggling the dense school and workload, yeah. I was also throwing myself at the internship, but because it's the music industry, you're usually at shows at the night. Event-based, yeah. Event-based. So, um, 20, 23 hour work days oh. and I did this three days in a row and, wow. uh, I woke up on the morning of that last day and I went to work, I turned on my computer and I was overwhelmed by the brightness of it. And okay. I remember feeling nauseous. I went to the bathroom. I went to the handicap stall to lock myself and have some privacy. And I remember burning up and passing out. Okay. And this was nine in the morning. And I was awoken to uh, raucous banging on the door. 
Sure, this was an individual bathroom. This is an individual bathroom. Yeah. The gender was trying to get in. I, uh, my eyes fluttered open. I reached into my pocket. I pulled out my phone to look at the time. The first thing I noticed was like 50 plus calls and messages. Sure. So clearly something had happened here. Yeah. And the time, dude, was 10 p.m. Oh, man. So over 12 hours. Over 12 hours. My body was just like, fuck you. We're going to sleep. We're yeah. shutting you down. The We're body will do that, right? And it did that. And <laughs> I was in my early 20s. And oh. uh, that was the mechanism that my body used back then. And uh, it has had less tolerance for my abuse of my body over time, yeah. such that my last instance of burnout uh, in 2014 uh, made me sick and incapacitated for a month. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So this was the first instance, but it didn't make you suddenly uh, realize that you needed to stop and, uh, and write a book. <laughs> well, well, it's interesting, the analogy that you, you talked about. So I'm seeing a lot, of, a lot of similarities between you and, and the gambling in the beginning. Like mm -hmm. No one could recognize the symptoms. That's no, right. no one could tell that you were going through this. I didn't think that mental health was a thing, especially in the South Asian community. We don't talk about sure. mental health. But even now, it's a problem in 2018. Mm. Uh, it's non-existent in some cases. It's you being weak and, you know. Uh, but back then, I just thought that I was tired or that I, you know, had crashed because of all the Red Bull that I was drinking. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that what was actually happening so was you didn't occupational know. burnout. No one else could help you. And I, I, if I remember... And I didn't tell anyone. Did you say that uh, you've spoken over in... Uh, in other countries? I have, yeah. About yeah, burnout yeah. and I that have. you get a lot of resistance from certain <laughs> countries? Especially in Eastern Europe. There, yeah, okay. For some reason, folks in Eastern Europe find this funny. Yeah. Not they, everyone. I mean, there, there are people who believe that, but like there are some, some characters out in Eastern European audiences that I've been in who just kind of laugh at burnout. They're like, Hamza, you're weak. So like, come on, you can't get burnout by sitting in front of a computer. And I'm like, actually, hold on. Let me pull out the research. Yes, you can. I mean, you know, you you literally wrote a book uh, on this, so you could show, and you could you were there talking about the book, <laughs> right. so you could show it to them. And it's not all just your opinion. Sure. You draw. You spent a lot of time looking up the facts on this. I did and yeah, research, yeah, yeah. and so which you could have easily just written your stories. And that's it. Yeah. But you decided to do both. I had to back it up because I spent a lot of time with people in the trades and the services. Uh, friends who are still in the military right now. Uh, I wanted to be very careful about how I position my story because I can understand from the perspective of somebody in Eastern Europe who has lived in the fog of war, mm. who's experienced hardships that we can't imagine because it's so far-fetched here in Toronto to, to yeah. have the specter of an invading force come and bomb you and shell you and your family being dragged at a gunpoint. Like Those are stressors that I don't think we're ever going to experience here. God forbid. Knock on one. And I hope that never happens. But... Uh, I had to be very careful of framing this in such a way where I use my story as the as as just the the springboard to get into a larger conversation about how stress affects the body, sure, and stress affects the mind, and so it doesn't matter what in industry you work in, it doesn't matter if you're in a war zone or if you are. Uh, I'm trying to think about a, a totally divergent experience, like if you're if you're doing construction at Billy Bishop Airport, you can experience stress in unique ways that are yeah individual to you. And I guess what you're trying to convince everybody of, especially in Eastern Europe, is that they just may not be aware of how it's affecting them. Even yeah, if yeah. they think that 
I'm fine. You know, I'm tough. I'm tough. Yeah. I can handle this, which is kind of how you were. Yeah. Wasn't it? So, so you got, you got over this, uh, 12 hour thing. They forgave you. You got, you made up an excuse. I made up an excuse. I didn't tell anyone. The first time I told people about it, I think was on the TEDx stage. Wow. Okay. And uh, I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want people to associate me with that. I wanted the sure. brand of Hamza to be consistent with, hey, you want something done? Give it to Hamza. He's productive. He can get shit done. Oh, I know the feeling. That needed to yeah. be the association that I wanted people to have of me. Not that he, Hamza's weak and Hamza can't handle the pressure. And especially like having done a stint in the Canadian Armed Forces as a reservist, mm-hmm. like you're, 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 this idea that you need to develop resilience and fortitude is, is literally drilled into you. You're taught that you have to you know, soldier up and, and suck it up and tough it out and all of these different phrases carried carried with me throughout my my professional life. Yeah, wow. And so you did that, and you you sucked it up, and you completed you completed your uh, internship. I completed the internship, then I went through different instances of burnout throughout the years that finally caught up with me in 2014. So at, and so after the internship, you're you're then you were at Ryerson. Instead. I was at Ryerson. I joined Ryerson in 2012, and I was there until 2016. Okay, so you're there, and there you created Splash Effect with Kareem. I did, and there's a, a great story about that on. Um, I forget I the name of that podcast. podcast. Making it, Tor- yeah, that making it, I had fun on that making one. it Toronto. Great, yeah, yeah that was yeah, really good. You. I like thank that you. one because uh, the whole it was Shout about. Shout out to Oath Neal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Us. Great host. And uh, so you're still working at Ryerson in 2016. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you got Splash Effect and anything else? Yep. So I had spawned uh, a, a training company out of Splash Effect called Skills Camp. Okay. So that was happening, and it was very clear early on that I couldn't invest the same amount of time and energy and attention to in, in, into Skills Camp that I was giving to Splash Effect and Ryerson. I was also teaching at the time, so I was a faculty member at Seneca College. I was also experiencing the beginnings of my speaking career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was also writing for different publications as well, so so much was happening at the same time. Wow, and this is I, I saw you at the Cookbooks Connect conference. Yes. And I think you, Rami, what would you have spoken about? I spoke about personal branding. Do things, yes. tell people. Do things and tell people. Yeah. I, I say it to people all the time. And they're <laughs> like, you, I man. like that. I'm so happy to hear that. And I, I, I do try to give you credit. And Thank I will you. definitely going forward. It's not an original idea though. Like it's. Oh, I, yeah, 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 sure. But you, you, fr- you framed it in a good I way. I think so. I need to look it up. I think do things, tell people is, is my phrase. Okay. But if there's one thing I've learned in, in this world is that. If you have a brilliant idea, that's probably already trademarked. Okay, good point. So, so yeah, check that out. If, but, if you own do things, sell people. I apologize. I'll give you. I'll, apologize. <laughs> I'll, I'll retroactively. They'll, fix my they'll write into the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll get a letter letter in the mail. The um, the thing I remember, other than do things, tell people, which I say all the time, is that uh, you you uh, talk so much about Drake that you actually said, yeah. uh, okay, this is the last thing that I'm going to say about Drake about halfway through, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's because Drake did things and told people yes, and absolutely. that's how he got to Rose. and you're yeah. in Toronto and, yeah, yeah, and this yeah. is a good example. So you're, you're doing things, lots of things and you're telling people and that's how you're getting speaking gigs and all this stuff. And what's the next uh, obvious, uh, obvious burnout episode that you had Ooh. then? Is this uh, your trip? Since, since 2014? What no, about, no. Nothing. What about the trip? The trip was the last burnout episode, and that was the, the, the inciting force to write and the book. that was 2014? That was 2014. So in 2014, you're working, is this out of the three or four places I'm right work, now? Yeah, I'm, I have Ryerson going, I've got Splash Effect going, I've got Skills Camp going, 
I'm teaching at Seneca College, I'm speaking, I'm writing. And you're like, work hard, play hard, I'm going to take a month vacation? Yeah, I was going to be like seven days a week, I'm going to put in 16 to 20 hour work days, we're going to make this happen, and then in December I'm going to go around the world. Okay, so December, go around the world, show up somewhere on Christmas Day, that kind of uh, thing. Where were you you going to be on Christmas Day? I was going to be, I think my itinerary was going to have me in Amsterdam. Nice. On Christmas Day, and then I was going to end off in Kuala Lumpur, and then come back to Toronto just in time for New Year's. Okay, so you're you're wrapping all the things up at all the different works, and yep, and uh, you're you're about to go on the trip. And, I'm such and, a, uh, such an asshole to myself. I literally worked the the night before, didn't sleep at all. I went home after work. I packed my bags, oh. took a took a little power nap, and said, "I'll sleep on the plane, no problem." Uh, bags are packed. I'm ready to go, and uh, you know I've got my boarding pass in hand. My itinerary is set, uh, and a really meticulous itinerary at that too, like in a very detailed, tabbed Excel spreadsheet yeah. with reviews of restaurants I want to go to and different things I want to do based on time that are color coded. It was obnoxious. I didn't go on that trip, man. I, I remember sitting there, feeling overwhelmed by the scale of the trip. A but also feeling fatigued from not having slept the night before. But that's just a symptom of a bigger problem, which is I completely abused my body over that past year of just working hard, neglecting fitness, neglecting nutrition, uh, neglecting sleep, and subjecting myself to levels of stress that uh, would crush uh, a, a less resilient Hamza. So do you think that your your body and mind were just sitting there, your, ba- your bags were packed, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you think they're just saying, okay, so this thing we're about to do is not necessary as you somehow deemed mm-hmm. all of the other yep, things yep, to, yep. they were necessary and yep. you abused us, mind and body. Yep, yep. Uh, and that's fine because we can see that you're you know, you needed to do that. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah, yeah. You, you may have... It just felt you know, like a thing to do, like burn out like a phoenix and then rise from the ashes again. And so it's like, well, this thing that you're about to do, the vacation, not essential. We're not letting you go. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of that one is of exactly the way what that it happened? happened? And I, I often think back to what allowed me to persist through that entire year of working so hard. And it was synthetic energy. It was energy drinks. It was lots of coffee. Yeah. And once the coffee stopped working, it was just straight up caffeine pills. Uh, Adderall was in there for a little while as well. So mm-hmm. I was tricking my mind into believing that I had more energy than I did. And um, I'm sure I was sick. I can't remember specifically, but I'm sure I was pushing through that illness as well. Yeah. Uh, I think I caught the flu that year too, and I somehow worked through the flu as well. Such drive, you know. Yeah. I, I just to because well, everything I, you're saying, not even drive, man. I, it's it's just stupidity. Man. <laughs> well, a stupidity, <laughs> in, almost like an arrogance. In hindsight, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, just what you're saying about um, the synthetic energy is really interesting to me because to compare your situation to someone who's unmedicated uh, uh, with ADD mm-hmm. is there's no energy to begin with. Right. Yeah. So Starting you're trying you're trying to get synthetic energy to pile on all of these things, and I was tr- you trying to use synthetic energy to actually get through a day. Wow. Uh, wow. So I would start at negative. Jeez. Right. So you know maybe you start the day at a hundred percent. Yeah. If you if you slept in your case maybe you didn't get sleep mm-hmm. but you were like and then Wired. at the end of the day you do all your stuff and maybe your hundred percent is gone and right. you, you go to sleep. That's a typical day. Maybe That's a bad typically. day is yeah, yeah, yeah. is your your. Uh, Maybe you go negative a little bit, right? Yeah. But sleep, 
rebuilds it. Right. You know, and I can only speak to my uh, version of ADD because everyone's is different. Sure. But with mine, it was like you start the day and you're negative already. And so now you got to find that focus and energy to do these things you're supposed to do and then somehow feel better about your life. Yeah. It's like, am I going to have to do this every day for the rest yeah. of my life? Like, this is terrible. Terrible. Yeah. You know, and I never contemplated anything like suicide sure, or anything yeah. like that. I'm not, I'm not... You know, when I think about it, I'm not exactly sure why, because I, I was really miserable very easy. on the yeah, inside. Yeah, yeah. I just, um, I decided to self-destruct in a different kind of sure, way, and yeah, it was yeah. financially. Yeah, it, until, you know, I didn't understand that till years, years later, after yeah. I was medicated and after I, I kind of finished with the gambling and figured it all out. But right. it was like, man, if I... You know, I, there was something really wrong. And I guess you kind of figured out the same thing in that you're needing all of this extra help to do these things. Maybe you shouldn't be doing all of these things. Yeah. Or there's another way. Mm-hmm. And then so when you, so you're sitting at home, you're like, I got to get on a plane and you just can't. I just can't. I couldn't do it. And uh, I, I fell sick. Uh, immune system gave out and I just sat there. I just sat there and I kind of just stared at the clock and I waited until that clock hit the time that my flight was supposed to depart and I just let it go. I just let it go and uh, wow. I was just uh, just 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 stewing, just stewing. Um, I was miserable. I was frustrated. I was confused. I was sad. It was just a, a really, really, uh, really thick cocktail of, of negative emotions yeah that i was just uh downing and you're probably not even worried about the money at this point no i'm not worried about the money at this point because i physically couldn't will myself to to change my circumstances like even if i went through the regular routine of the pre-workout powders the pills the coffee the red bull and i you know revived myself I still wouldn't be able to go because my knees were buckled up. It was such a weird feeling and it never happened to me. Paralyzed. It was a panic attack. It was yeah. a straight up panic attack that happened, Bo. So I, I couldn't physically get up and I just remained in my house for the next 30 days, maybe escaping once or twice to get coffee and uh, groceries. That was about it. Were you? Did you feel embarrassed? Oh my God. It was embarrassing to a degree that I haven't felt since because I told so many people about this. Sure. It was a thing. It you was had an accountability. Event. It was accountability. Yeah. People knew that I was going. People mm. saw the tweets and the posts and Hamza's hustling so hard he's gonna make it happen. And at this point I, I think that my 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 teachings were still inspirational to a lot of people because they, they were like, Yeah, this is how this this is what a productive person does. Gets things done. People want to know how to get things seat. done. And here I was feeling like a complete hypocrite that I got all these things done, but I couldn't get the one thing done that I wanted to do for myself. Wow. And so, yeah, do, like this is a lot of self-reflection then during this uh, this month? I had nothing but time. Yeah, it's like, 30 days to myself. You're not man. talking to other people. I'm as not you're talking saying, you're to not other leaving. people. It's me. It's my laptop. Just you. I'm just pouring through everything that I can on the subject of what, burnout. What's wrong with me? Like, did you know of a burnout at that point? You know, you, you hear the term burnout. At this point, 2014, you, you'd heard the term burnout. I feel like I'm burning out or don't burn out. And, you know, it was just thrown around very casually, but you never really define yeah. burnout. I know nobody, you ask the average person on the street, like to give me the clinical definition of burnout. Yeah. Nobody can answer that question. That term burnout has only been around since the seventies. Mm. And in fact, uh, some of the early literature about burnout was rejected because of how 
uh, pseudoscientific it sounded. Yeah. So some of the early pioneers, you know, Herbert Freudenberger, Gail North, Maslach Jackson, they would publish these articles and submit them to journals and they would get rejected with letters saying this isn't real science. So this is in the 70s. That wasn't that long ago. And uh, for me, it was just understanding that burnout wasn't the problem. It was actually stress and that burnout was a symptom of a life lived out of balance. I see. Okay. So you, you started doing the research and you kind of figured out, first of all, I experienced burnout. Right. And back at Sony, that mm-hmm. was that mm-hmm. was burnout. This, right. A bunch of times probably since in my life, you started making changes to your to your life. What was what were some of the first steps you took? I did. For me it was about realizing when burnout happened. So uh, first, like, like, like trying to solve any problem, especially when you think about the different stages of, of alcohol recovery, alcohol addiction recovery, or just addiction recovery is acknowledging the problem. Yeah. So I first had to just accept that, Hey, you're not Superman. Like you've told yourself that you're really productive and you're a peak performer and you are, but there's a big, but here that you are overcompensating that this is not sustainable, that it worked while you were at a very specific time in your human evolution where you had the natural recovery that comes with being in your 20s, so on and so forth. So accepting that I had the problem and then realizing what the root causes of my stress were, uh, reorienting what my why was, what my purpose was, and getting rid of all of the different um, things that were stressing me out. So really just deloading all of my priorities. So finding out what's non-essential, cutting it out completely, and then reconfiguring my focus, which is writing down and, and thinking critically about what I truly want out of life and reorienting my North Star. Uh, then there was assembling boundaries around the things that were going to lead me to burnout again. So establishing the non-negotiables in my calendar, things like sleep, things like eating, yeah. things like rest, things like going to the gym, and making them fixed, making them permanent in my calendar. Nothing can move them. I like that. People don't prioritize They don't prioritize enough. that. Sleep so especially. My, it's I, more important than people know, isn't dude, it? Dude, I did the opposite of what my calendar was. My calendar prior to that was priorities that other people had set for me. Mm. And so my calendar was just meeting here, meeting there, work on this, work on that, travel here, travel there. I'd gutted my entire calendar and it was now, you need to work around these things. Okay, that's great. Uh, Then gaining a mastery of stress, understanding that there's such a thing as good stress and bad stress, and that not all stress is bad. And then overcoming that feeling of overachievement, I think was super important for me and realizing that uh, overachieving brings about diminishing returns and that I can achieve everything that I want to as a high performer and do so for the rest of my life. And, and, uh, so how are your finances playing out at this time? You said after, after the 2012 experience, you maybe started saving. Uh, I started saving. Uh, I had the RRSP chugging along. Sure. So that was good. I always had like a... That's really, for retirement. That's though. for retirement. What about uh, things like emergency funds or anything like that? I started rebuilding the emergency funds. Yeah. Uh, I started paying off the CRA debt, okay, which yeah. I was able to get done very quickly. Good, very happy good. with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, they'd already taken money out of my bank to pay <laughs> some of it, so I that's didn't right. have a lot, wow. lot to cover yeah. over, over here, so... I took care of that, and then I became very regimented with my financial well-being. Mint.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Mint. Yeah, um, first step shout out in to my Intuit. process. Thank you. Yeah, uh, again for a lot of things, but especially especially for uh, helping me visualize where my spending. Yeah, with, uh, visualizing my spending. Yeah. So 
automatically half of my paycheck would just go to savings and I would figure out a way to live on the other half of it. Okay. Uh, and I would continue continue to toggle that. Um, and it's half of the paycheck for like all of the all of the jobs. For all of the jobs. Yeah, so yeah. half of my earnings half of all of would your earnings. immediately go into savings Great. into a tax free savings account. Yeah. Uh, and I would siphon some of some some of that off into mutual funds as well. And then over time I, I started investing in businesses. So okay. uh, started to get really smart about uh, where I'm putting my money. Where other businesses. Ones other businesses. You're not, so you're consulting. Not yeah, yeah, yeah. And... I, I joined a couple of companies uh, on their board of directors. Uh, I would uh, would take a little bit of equity okay. uh, in exchange for my time. And uh, some of those had some successful exits. So I was able to experience the rainfall from that. Nice. Okay. Um, and then recently, there's been robo-advisors like Wealth Simple that I put my money into. And then I dabbled in Bitcoin for a bit. <laughs> Terrible mistake. Yep. Wish I didn't do that. Don't get into Bitcoin unless you know what you're doing. You should read my post, uh, is investing in cryptocurrency. I actually, I actually okay. bookmarked it. I actually yeah. bookmarked it. <laughs> but I remember putting my money into this being like, whoa, look at all these gains. Fantastic. And then the dip happened again. And I'm like, I don't know shit about this. What am I doing? It's fascinating, right? I mean, there's no history on it yet. Everyone thinks they're, they're going to be. And uh, some people even use the dot-com boom as a positive example of how this is a it's good time. Ridiculous, it's obviously man. negative. Do you remember what happened? Yep. Most of the companies went under so you're because you don't seem to me like someone who might be reading all the stock tickers on a daily basis i don't i i would i would describe my financial literacy as very poor poor okay very poor really i'm 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 not financially literate okay Um, but what i do have going for myself is i've got smart people in my life who tell me where to put my money sure Um, people like you people like my father people like my friends uh you know call some of my colleagues and the other thing I've got going for myself is this constant stream of money. So I'm very fortunate that yeah. I, I'm able to enjoy regular income that is uh, above average. And how old are you now? I am 30. So you're 30 years old. And you know a lot of people, when they're in their 30s, that's when they have a nice stream of income. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, I like to think of it as the Hamza of today, yeah. um, saving for the Hamza of tomorrow. 100%. It's a completely unpredictable situation where you may decide you want to take a year off. Yeah. And if you want to take a year off of work, you know, even though you might have income flowing in some way or sure. another, uh, you should be able to do that. Right. And not feel like you're tied to anything or in any kind of work yeah, prison. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people are in a work prison right now. They are. And uh, wow, man, two things on that note. So I've heard months, I can't remember who I heard from, but like your 20s are for making mistakes and your 30s are for making money. Sure. My 20s were rife with mistakes. My 30s have been very profitable. I've just started into my journey to the 30s and uh, let's just put it so this you way. You just started. Yeah. I've, I've made up for lost time okay. very quickly. <laughs> um, but I think that true wealth, my mother had the best definition all along. So in spite of seeing my dad actually build it, I think my mother had the best definition for what could have been, which is true wealth, true happiness, is having everything that you want and the time to enjoy it. Yes. So my dad had everything that he wanted, but no time to enjoy it. No he time. was he was wealthy in that. He had accumulated property and businesses and, and, and money, but no time to enjoy it. He was missing the one thing that I now hold very dearly. And so I, I'm not as wealthy as my father, but I am in other ways. I have yeah. the time to travel, the time to relax, the time to be mindful. And going back to your point about finding yourself in this situation where I, I think you use the phrase financial prison, find yourself, finding yourself in a financial prison. I, I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel like there's any one employer, any one stream of income 
that could rupture the Hamzakan enterprise. So like if one that's stream, great. If one stream dried up tomorrow, no problem. So you're you're part of the choose yourself mentality. I'm trying is, to insulate myself from the risk, man. Which is really good. Yeah, we're moving away from the the single job nine to five. Uh, having one one company or one person responsible man. for your financial well-being. Yeah, so that's that's good. So that when you started paring down, were you worried at all about how this was going to affect your your cash flow and your income and your saving ability? So when you say paring down, so you, you mean like after the burnout, right? right. Um, realization, sure, sure. December of. 2014. The streams never stopped, though. The streams never stopped, but you stopped doing things that you were doing maybe that weren't making you money. Exactly. Uh, I yeah, see. So yeah. you had all of these things going on, and there was never a focus on, okay, like, focus on the ones that are, you know, I, I mean, I know the feeling. Yeah. We're, we're all working on lots of projects. I stopped the revenue-generating activities. Oh, sorry, the, the non-revenue-generating non activities, activities. And uh, I doubled down on the things that were bringing me the most happiness, the most money, okay. uh, for the least amount of physical, uh, emotional, and mental expense. Was, were they were they always connected, happiness and money? Was that something that you uh, had, found yourself? I, I had to relink them together. Yes. So I had to I had to relearn the definition of money yeah. um, and, and see it as uh, something that enables happiness. Freedom. Freedom. Yeah. And it's just this thing that a lot of people have decided is going to stand in place for value. Yeah. That's really what it is. I mean, like if we decided tomorrow that it's a store of value, money, it's a store yeah. of value. That's yeah. essentially what it is. So once I was able to make peace with that, I kind of divorced myself from, from the negative associations I had with it as a child. Uh, and through my, 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 my teenage years and early adulthood, and uh, I now have a newfound respect for it. It's a thing that is, again, like you said, a store for value. So you're more aware of nice. how the value of your time and how much you're willing to trade of that totally, time for money. Totally. And, and opportunity costs something yes. I think about all the time. Opportunity costs are huge. What am I forfeiting with this time? Yes. Right? What you know? Yeah. What What would I like? I don't know. Uh, you know, we they talk about lattes a lot. Latte yeah, yeah, factor. Yeah, yeah. Latte, so David yeah, Bach, yeah. Uh, yeah. automatic yeah. millionaire thing. He he likes to say that it's not about lattes. Like, forget it. Right. It's yeah. just about. He thinks uh, if you're spending too much on something and it's not creating value for you, then right. then that could be helping. But if you're covering all the bases, sure. You know, this is uh, something that uh, Shannon Lee Simmons talks about a lot. I'm seeing her later today for the podcast. And uh, she came up with the Beyonce factor. Okay. She says, uh, as long as everything's covered, like the fixed stuff, the important stuff, then you've got your spending money and you spend it on whatever you like. Totally. You should be able to enjoy your life just as like with a couple of rules in there. You know, right. you, pay, you make sure the rent and the utilities and all that's yep, paid yep, for. Yep. Savings, like the good savings, the ones for long term is in there too. Sure. And, then, and then save for if you want to go on a trip in the future. Totally. And then you'll have a little pile left over. And you know what? Don't feel guilty about not saving that. I think it's a contrast between yeah. probably your, your mom and dad, right? 100%. Your dad would have been like, that money left over, we need to save that. Yeah. Right? If I spend that, I'm being frivolous. Yes. Even though he'd already taken care of all that, and your mom would probably be more on the normalized side. Okay, that's some money left over that I can use to live exactly. and do things that are would be considered indulgences in certain experiences, certain areas, certain right. uh, history, culture, sure, traditions. Sure, sure. Uh, depending on where you're from, or, or what your background is, or what your your yeah, history is, yeah, yeah, yeah. indulging in something it, it can be is such a negative for so many. Oh, and 
indulgence, it, it doesn't come off as a negative word. It does come across as a negative word, especially in these dire economic times. Yeah. And we're talking about income inequality and, and all these things. And you, 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 that was the best articulation of, <laughs> of, of the dichotomy in, in belief between my parents. Uh, for you and all the listeners, I want to give you something that changed my life as far okay. as understanding income and, and lifestyle design is concerned. Please. So I did an activity a couple of years ago called the perfect day activity. And what I did is I opened up a spreadsheet and I, man, I have so much to say. How are we going for time? By the way? <laughs> we're good. We're good. Okay. This, I think the, we're about an hour now. This or? is great. You, you guys yeah. are going to love this one. So uh, I opened up a spreadsheet and I said, what does a perfect day in the life of Hamza Khan look like? What would on a material and experiential level make me fucking happy? Where am I waking up? Who am I waking up beside? What do I have for breakfast? What kind of coffee am I drinking? What kind of cars in my parking lot? Am I, do I even live in a condo? Do I live in a house? Where am I in the world? What kind of job do I have? So I, did a, I, I broke down what a day in my life, a perfect day in my life would look like. And then I started pricing it out. Okay. I yeah. put dollar figures beside it. That's fantastic. And I multiplied that number by 365. Okay. Yeah. And I realized that, holy shit, my dad said I needed $120,000 a year to be financially free. The truth is I just need $86,400 yeah, to be okay. truly happy. <laughs> I mean, like I have everything I want in the world and more. And these were all things like, because... Uh, I adjusted for inflation too. I was like, okay, so like, let's imagine that the price of this goes up. Let's add in a variable so over here. Because this was your happy day, this was all happy spending. So there was no like stuff in there that you didn't want that you're spending on that you didn't need or I didn't put, care for. Exactly. This is just a purely utopian yeah. vision of what sure. would be. And like, if I had to live this day for the rest of my life, how much would it cost to live this day for the rest yeah, of my yeah, life? Yeah, I like that. That's and great. I did that and I'm like, oh. The number is so low. What? It's only 86000 I've crossed this a long time ago. This okay, is fantastic. Well, so I have this money. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. And then I realize that I'm mm. not spending. I'm not investing in the things that are making me happy. You're not. And I'm putting money here. I'm putting money there. I'm putting time here. I'm putting time there. Let's start now seeing these things not as expenses, but as investments. So for instance, this cup of coffee tastes great costs a lot, but it gives me the happiness that I need to carry on my day as a ritual of just going to the coffee store, grabbing it, drinking it, experiencing the rush from, from the product itself. It's integral. It's integral to the Perfect. functioning of Hamza. And so now it's just part of my overhead. I just bake it into the day-to-day -day expenses of being me. What does this mean? Maybe you have to earn this money back. I need to you know, have this stream of income optimized a little bit more to cover this. You know, I heard the other day that LeBron James spends $2 million a year on his body. Wow. And at first I balked at What does that number. mean? And then I thought about it again, like, hold on, you are LeBron James. You are MVP. You are a human specimen. You are the pinnacle of basketball. It's how he makes his money. Of course. Yeah. You're spending yeah. $2 million to make $50 billion, So this right? is the best trainers and Food, probably... cryotherapy, oh, yeah. the different kind of massage therapy, everything, yeah. everything, everything. And wow. so now where I get the most return, when I look at all of my different streams of income, uh, when I'm thinking about the time to income ratio, yeah. it's speaking. I get up on stage yeah. and I speak for 45 minutes to an hour and I make a boatload of money. How do I keep that going? Yes. How do I continue to make money doing this? Well, I need to be in the right headspace. I need to have access to enriching conversations like the one that I'm having with you right now read books, have time to be bored, have time to reflect. And so there's an investment that's required to produce the ideal circumstances that would allow me to be a world-class speaker. The value of, of um, 
time to do what people would think is nothing, quote unquote nothing. Yeah. That is so valuable to me. As you said, time, time, time to reflect, right? Yeah. It's time you're not gonna you're not gonna come up with an idea by being in something, by no. just doing all the time. No, no. You're gonna get an idea by walking somewhere yeah, or buddy. sitting or like you said, having conversations like, like this and then after this, having some time to yourself sure. to reflect and think about. So you're, you're a musician. Have you put out any albums? No, I, I am okay. a, I'm a cover musician. Cover musician, play, right? Play but, wed- but, but you're play from... weddings and, and uh, large corporate events. That's amazing, man. But like, I, dude, you, you... I've always been more of a, I like to play other people's music, performer rather than uh, creative sure. writing. And yeah. dude, like, who would you say your favorite artist is? Your favorite uh, band? Ben Folds. Ben Folds. So yeah. Ben Folds puts out an album once every five to six years. Uh, maybe, la- maybe sooner than that, but sure. Yeah. Sooner than that. So... What are they doing for that other time? Like, shouldn't shouldn't Ben Foles be putting out music every single day? Well, no. If Ben Foles put out music every single day, yeah, the music wouldn't be at the level it's that true. you need to. He wouldn't. They they wouldn't experience the life uh, and and the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations of living to come up with new stories, the heartbreak, the. Uh, you know, negative interactions, positive interactions, whatever that goes into the music that they then put their heart and soul into and becomes a reflection of how the last couple of years of their life were spent. That's a really good point. So similar to that, last night I was talking to my partner and I said, you know, I've got a couple of really great corporate gigs coming up. And I think once I do that last corporate gig, I think I'm going to stop speaking for a while. Okay. I think I'm just going to disappear. I'm going to retire all my talks and go back to the drawing board because I've been doing this nonstop since 2014. Yeah, yeah. It's been four years and I've just been speaking and I have had no time to craft new music. I've had no time yeah. to assemble an album. Okay. I've been putting out singles all the time and the singles have caught fire and I've been able to tour and speak and write and, and enjoy all of the benefits that come with that. But I need to reinvest my time into getting bored again, into getting inspired again. Yes. Because like you said, if I continue doing this, I will just be caught up in this and I'll wake up on the other side of 50 and 60 and be like, oh crap. My best music is still inside of me, but that window is, is closed. I, I quit my full-time job in June of 2017. No way. This um, is just like we met the same year. Yeah, yeah. What? Just after. Well, it's, no it's not a coincidence. I was going to more conferences yeah, after yeah, that too. Yeah, but, crazy. Uh, I had no idea. I, uh, yeah, I worked for Live Nation Global Touring yeah, for the last yeah. uh, the six years before that. Sweet. And, uh, you know, I had started the podcast and uh, the website on the side, but they weren't generating tons of income. But I knew that I just needed to stop the full-time job and focus on this. I had money saved up. Yeah. I, I was a, I, you know, to, to be able to survive. And you know, I, I make money in other ways as well. But you know, people say don't quit your full-time job without having equivalent yeah. income. Well, I don't, I don't have equivalent income, right? Yeah. I have income. Yeah. I have money. But I don't have the ability that everyone else does to do this side hustle. You know, before I was on the meds, I barely had the ability to do anything in yeah. a day without needing to gamble my face off. Yeah. So now the priority for me is my creative time is right now, actually, in the morning. So I want, you know, like you said, what's a, is it a Wednesday? Wednesday morning. I don't even know what day it is anymore. A Wednesday morning, I'm here, you yeah. know. I got on the train at 7 o'clock this morning Jeez. from Hamilton to, to get here. I am, my wife calls, uh, it's a lark. When, yeah. when, you, when you wake up in the morning yeah, and you're yeah, like, la, 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 everybody. <laughs> and everyone's just like, I need my coffee or yeah, I'm going to punch yeah. you in the face. <laughs> um, I'm the lark that everybody hates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it. 
And for me to waste my lark time in the morning, Mm. going and sitting at a desk, doing something, I don't know, I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing, right? Like, you know, the work was getting done, but I didn't need to be doing it from a nine to five. And that's not really the point. I think I just felt trapped in that. Like I had to be doing something related to that. Because I I have what I like to call integrity, which a lot of people don't have. I don't like the idea of just sitting somewhere and uh, doing something else. If I'm supposed to be doing another thing, I feel like a bit of a fraud. You know, even when I was working on this stuff on the side, I told my boss and he was like, great, you know, pursue that stuff as long as you get your work done. And he did. But I realized after a while that, I I feel trapped in this Got it. and I need to get out and I can figure out other ways to make money and I know I will. Of course. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, my, when I did my core values, my uh, freedom is so important to me. So important. Freedom man. to do the things, helping other people and uh, just a slower pace. Yeah. Non-urgency is such a, a big thing for me absolutely personal finance is not urgent absolutely right not the way that i do it right right you're not going to call me and say oh what's happening to my etfs right right? yeah yeah, 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 it's not not a thing right it's this explains i'm teaching a class tomorrow on influencer marketing and Mm. i'm really just taking a deep dive into why we why why influencers are having their time in the sun right now why is it that the average person riding ttc to get to work is scrolling through instagram and stopping on the feeds of somebody who's on a beach or having a latte at you know, three in the afternoon in the Bahamas somewhere. And I think it's because uh, the leisure class is still something that's aspirational to us. Mm-hmm. But it's not out of reach. That's the thing. You can replicate the same dynamics by just being smart about where you spend your time. If a budget for your money is a reflection of your priorities, then your calendar is also a reflection of your most valuable resource, which is time. I like that. And so you decided that you, rather than trading eight to nine hours a day at Live Nation, that was not the best use of your time that you could live out your best life if you just flipped the equation and if you opened up that eight or nine hours to spend it how you want and take a temporary decrease in earning potential and savings for the chance to be happy and great at what you do. And, and this, this is, uh, you know, I've published 25 podcasts. There's there probably go, about 30 all-inclusive in the queue that I haven't, you know, including the ones that have been published. And, there, you know, every week, you know, you're you're going to be on probably you know, midway through the year, and uh, this is this is what people should be doing, right? And I, I think I guess in your case you were doing it too much, yeah. <laughs> right? You were doing a lot, like all of your good stuff was in there, sure, and you just needed to peel away the Absolutely. unnecessary layers. Absolutely. If that's a good way to, put I just it. kept on padding on. Yeah. The the idea of Hamza because I struggled with and I still struggle with imposter syndrome, which is never feeling like I'm smart enough, capable enough, qualified enough, whatever. Uh, and so uh, overcompensating is something that I did for a very long time, and now I'm at a place where I feel the freedom, and I love how freedom has become a theme of this of this podcast. The freedom to not do everything, yeah, to not do all of the things, and instead only do the right things, no matter how few and far between they are. The freedom to be to be weak. You're just weak, Hamza. I know, right? According right. to Eastern Europe, that's it. You know, I'm in a podcasting coaching group right now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the first question was, "What's your why?" And I realized my why is I want to help people realize that they don't have to be what other people think that they should be. They don't have to fit into this model of success or do the checklist 
to be themselves. Yeah. People can be whatever they want to be. Absolutely. And there are ways to make money. You don't have to follow the path. Don't let anyone put you down because you decided to take some time off to make a podcast, etc. Are we weird because we believe that? So I'm a wholehearted believer in that. But I remember like a younger version of Hamza. If you were to say that to him, he would have been like, that's hokey as shit. I know. You're full of it. But you have to, I think it's because we've been through it. We've been through, exactly. we've been through it's shit, real, man. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you were through shitty situations you don't want to go through again. Yeah. And what's going to change that? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want to get back to that coping guy yeah. uh, gambling. And, and, and even though there's probably very little risk of that now, it's more about I don't want to be the guy who did what other people wanted him to do. Yeah, yeah Just yeah, so yeah. for what reason? You know, it's incredible. I wasn't how, happy. Yeah, it, it's incredible how our why or how our existence is defined by misery and suffering to a certain extent. Yeah, like so much of what I do now is a reflection of ways that I felt when I was younger that I'd never want to feel like again. Mm, yeah. Well, we have to go through this stuff to, to learn, right? right. Uh, everyone's in, experience is so different yeah. that they try to give us advice, but they really can't. can't I think yeah. the only way is to go through something and realize what you want totally. to do or what you don't want. Or read books and listen to podcasts. Exactly. Life's little known hack. That's right. And uh, it's like a rare for, candy. for those of us, yeah, exactly. For those of us who have trouble with books, Audiobooks, audiobooks and uh, yeah. you know the future or listen to my blog yes, which is yes, yes. Uh, coming coming up hopefully i can so, get some of my uh, content on there yes right? uh, i i'm really looking forward to that um and i'll be telling people about it uh, much more later so the burnout gamble yes is the name of the book it is sir and it's a great book Thank it you. tells your story Thank but you. it also uh helps people like you say what uh, burn burn bright bright not not out. out yeah so like you know Burnout means that you're like a flame is a good thing, right? Yeah. Fire is of good, you need it. right? Yeah. Uh, but it's when like, yeah, what what does it mean when somebody burns out in that context? So when, it's somebody, when you lose the fire, when you lose the thing that's supposed to give you life and energy and drive and motivation and passion, I mean, all of these different attributes and qualities that we attribute to fire when that's gone yeah uh you lose that and and, and you know you just enter into that spiral of, of burnout syndrome that'll take you from stage one which is the feeling of needing to prove yourself all the way to the final stage which is just total mental physical emotional collapse so you have all the you actually have all the stages laid out in the book i do yeah, um, yeah, yeah. each one either has a section mm -hmm. or, or a chapter or it has its own chapter, own chapter it has its own story from yeah. people that we've interviewed so you, you give real life examples real life examples so you can get some context behind it but also some prompts to help you self-diagnose at yeah, a okay. cursory level yeah um again i'm just a guy who burned out dude i'm not a a psychologist i'm not a trained professional in, in, in any of the things that I talk about in the book. But what I do do really well is I synthesize the knowledge from everyone else. And I realized that why I needed to write this book above all is because it took me 30 days to fully explore what was happening to me mm. by reading all of the literature, by reading the seminal books, by, you know, hearing the, the interviews, you know, hearing the podcast, watching the video breakdowns. And there was no simple way for people like you and I to understand what burnout was, the impact of it and how to beat it. So I compile all of that together and uh, put it out there as a book. That's great. And so people can buy the book yeah. probably anywhere. Any, anywhere, uh, Amazon, Kobo, uh, available on your Kindle, audiobook later this year as well. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I like through. whenever there's an audio version of something. I think sure. I got uh, the digital one on Google Books. Fantastic. And I've got a physical copy for you as well. Oh, great. Thank you. I'm going to hook you up. Perfect. I like that. I remember that. I looked, I looked through my inventory of when we met at QuickBooks. I'm like... 
I usually write down the names of everyone who I gave the book to. I'm pretty sure I gave it to, to Bo. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry yeah. Sorry about so, that. Sorry it took to, no, so long to get to you. No, it's okay. I, I, the digital stuff is probably better for me, uh, you know, at least to, sure. to be able to make notes and totally, stuff too. Totally. That, that is the benefit of having a, a digital book is you can highlight and yeah. stuff, like what you could do with an actual physical highlighter totally. in a book too. Yeah, yeah. But I also feel like I'm kind of wrecking the book if I do that. <laughs> So it really adds character to it. Kind of a funny thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But there, there's a lot of stuff to hi- highlight, you know, a lot of really interesting stories. And the whole idea is try to catch the burnout before it happens to you. Or if you're in it, stop it before you end up in a bathroom yeah, and pass out for 12 hours. It's amazing what self-awareness will do. Like oh. some people never make it through the entire book. It's a very dense book. It's, it's also like a difficult read because of the subject matter as well. Uh, but the people who have made it through the book, they're like, wow, you've given me so many tools and practical ways to stave off burnout and recover from it. But for the people who just make it like halfway into it, the, the core message here is just the knowledge of burnout. Once you can call it by its name, once you know what it is and how it affects you, simply the awareness of it can change your reaction to stress. Mm, yeah. So you can go on YouTube and find your TEDx talks? You can go on YouTube, find my TEDx talks. Uh, you know, there's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, my very uh, small podcast right now. Hope to one day be at the level of of, of what you're doing over here, which I think is is remarkable. Thank you. Um, but I, I like your your four episodes. Four episodes in, they're just I narrations they were great. right yeah, now. But, it's, uh, it actually it tells a good story of Hamza, so I I like it. Thank you, thank yeah. you. So 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 yeah. I mean, uh, find me on the social webs and hamzakhan.ca. And Twitter is uh, Hamza K. Hamza K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember you saying Hamza Khan means Lion King. It does mean Lion King, man. Which I, Hamza I is always like that. And Khan is king. And, uh, <laughs> funny story about Hamza K. Uh, this is in the, and it's so cool that, that you're somebody else who, who totally gets the importance of locking down those really good domains. Yeah. The Gold Rush. I remember when Facebook announced that they were going to allow people to go ahead and register you know, their own unique URLs sure. and whatnot. I remember like staying up all night and then realizing, oh, I'm talking about Pacific time. So it's all good. So okay. let's change this. Or I think it was a different time zone that required me to, 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 to wake up later. And I totally got it wrong. And somebody else had already scooped up Hamza Khan. Oh, the comedian? No, not the comedian, man. There's this 14-year-old kid. He's probably older now in Indonesia. His oh, wow. father has been uh, just just parking all of these domains for him. Oh, they own HamzaKhan.com. They own Twitter.com backslash HamzaK. Instagram.com backslash HamzaKhan. So I'm like, God damn. You don't even know if your son wants to have a know, social media account or get into marketing. And I, I offered him ridiculous sums of money. I'm like, please, I need this for consistency sure. for SEO. Yeah. And he's like, no. One day my son will be great, and I'm like, fuck. Well, at least you got a, at least you got a reason. I, I uh, investwisely.com, which it, yeah, like I don't who know. Who owns that? Um, somebody in BC, and it's just it's a like this crazy it's a placeholder. It's a placeholder for yeah. like a, a real estate listing that's not even wow. on anymore. I emailed them and I said, hey, like it doesn't look like you're doing anything with this. You know, if you want to talk about it, and they're like, no, we're, we don't want to. We don't want to sell it. Who do you? Uh, where do you buy your domains? Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to say because okay. I don't like the company. No worries. <laughs> I I use. Uh, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I don't want to. Say yeah, it me, on me too. Uh, they're okay with domains, just not for yeah. hosting. I switch over to SiteGround for hosting. Yeah, so I, I do the same thing yeah. too. So I have my domains there, sure. but I have my uh, my hosting on SiteGround as well. But these folks, I've had a up and down relationship with. Yeah. Them. And there was one particular instance where I paid them the premium service to look out for when domains are expiring and let me know. And messed it up. Oh. They messed it up. They found a .com for something that I wanted. I paid the extra fee and then they came back and said, we couldn't get it for you because they renewed 
I think I'm going to move all my domains from them. I just don't like them at all, and and I think they have terrible service. Once upon a time, they were great. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to mention them. Yeah, sorry. Infer Lest what they we become might a be sponsor talking. of the podcast, you know, <laughs> which will, will never happen. Um, but SiteGround, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. give me, give me a shout, SiteGround. They're great. Yeah, they I love, are. I love them. Yeah, and they're based I, in Russia, right? Are they? I don't I even know so, that. Or like in Ukraine or somewhere. But they just everything was so. I, I don't have any problems. That's the thing. Never hosting a website. You just. Don't want anything to ever happen. And their ticketing system is fantastic. It is. It yeah. really is. The, the support is, is perfect. And so. I can chat with a human being and not have to call someone. I'm like, great. But you, did you get Hamzakhan.ca? I got Hamzakhan.ca. Okay. And that's people can find you there. People can find me there. It's great. Lock that down. Then I have Hamzak.com as well, which just redirects to... Okay, yeah. great. But it's more like if you just search, uh, you know, wherever you're going, I'll put the link, uh, yeah, links in the show that. notes. But uh, this is awesome. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. In your building, right in the area I used to live in. No way. And thank you so much for, for coming down. You know, you've left me with a lot of things to think about, a lot of great food for thought to chew on throughout the day. We have to do a follow-up. We're, we're going to have to 100%. do this again. And I, I would love to, once I, once I catch my rhythm with my own podcast, Absolutely. to bring you on and explore some of the stories that you just touched upon here, which, my God, like, dude, <laughs> when's your book coming out? There's a lot, there's a lot going on. I'm trying to get the speaking gigs first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about that off the air. And, ta- and, yeah, yeah, talking about, um, it's really um, about addiction yeah. and mental health of and course. how they're, they're interconnected with personal finance. And the perfect time to talk about it, which is right now. Yeah, right yeah. So time. so that's that's what I'm... Uh, I've already applied to a couple places, Amazing. but, uh, you know, it's like there's a lot of competition for speakers totally, out there. And, totally. and, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about uh, how to better Anytime, uh, better man. handle that. But this, uh, this was absolutely great, man. Thank you. And thank you for, for giving me a platform to share some stories that I don't think I've ever shared with anyone. Well, I'm, I'm glad. Personal finance, it, everybody's got it, right? Yeah. Personal finance is personal, but everybody has a story, good or bad. And so you shared good and bad. And, you know, that's important because people learn from the, the bad. Yeah. They can look up to the good or they can empathize with either one of them. Totally. And they can feel like they're not alone. Hey. I made that mistake too. Oh, you know, I'm not a terrible right. person, right, right. you know. And that's that's the whole goal of this. Fantastic. So. I'm so excited to share this. And uh, let me know when it goes live. And we'll go from there, man. Awesome. Thanks, Dude, man. Thank you. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to me, and it only takes a few seconds. For the show notes and any links from the episode, head over to my website, investwisely.ca. And while you're there, please feel free to send me a message on my contact page. Thanks so much for listening to episode 30 of the Personal Finance Show. I'll be back next week with Matthew Jarvis, Managing Partner of Jarvis Financial.